Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. This episode features a conversation with Foley's chairman and CEO, Daljeet Dougal. Daljeet is a corporate partner out of Foley's Detroit office with a practice that, prior to him stepping into the role of CEO and chairman, was focused on corporate matters such as mergers and acquisitions, private equity, venture capital, and restructuring. In this conversation, Daljeet reflects on being born in New Delhi, India, shortly thereafter moving to London, where he resided until the age of eight when his family immigrated to the U.S., He discusses life growing up in Troy and Rochester Hills, Michigan. He reflects on attending the University of Michigan for undergrad and the University of Notre Dame for law school. And of course, he talks about his path to Foley and Lardner. He discusses how it is he decided to become a corporate lawyer, and he highlights the many leadership roles he's held at the firm prior to stepping into the role of CEO and chairman. He also shares his vision for Foley as CEO and discusses Foley's commitment to people, culture, and stewardship. Finally, Daljeet provides wonderful advice for law students and junior lawyers on the importance of finding a practice area that you truly enjoy and the importance of maintaining relationships. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Daljeet Dougal. Dalji, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here, <laughs> and soon our listeners will know why. But before we get to that, the very exciting stuff, let's just start with you giving the professional introduction that I imagine you've given many times throughout your career. Well, thanks, Alexis, and I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm Dalji Dougal. I'm a partner at Foley and Lardner. I've been here for 20-some years, and my practice focuses on mergers and acquisitions, private equity funds, venture capital funds. Uh, and I do some work in the restructuring area where I help uh, clients folk, you know, restructure whether within bankruptcy or outside of bankruptcy. And of course, that introduction is rapidly changing because you are officially stepping into the role of CEO of Foley and Lardner. And of course, you've been gearing up for that for many months. And we're going to talk about that as well. But before we do, let's talk a bit about you and just start somewhat at the beginning, which is where are you from? Where did you grow up? So I was born in New Delhi, India. And I was there probably for the first three months of my life. Uh, my parents uh, went to India. They had their first child born. At that point, they were living in London, England. They had immigrated from India to London right after they had gotten married. And uh, so I then we moved to, uh, well, I moved yeah, as a baby, moved to uh, London, spent the first eight years of my life in London, England. And then we moved to the United States and moved to Michigan um, back, I think, in 1980 when I was eight years old. And this is the greatest part of the podcast, and I think a lot of people know this, is I hear the stories that I haven't heard. And we've had the opportunity to work together in a number of capacities, but I was not aware of the India to London to Michigan. So I want to unpack that a little bit. What do you remember of, do you remember being six, seven, eight, living in London? And I don't know, do you have any snapshots or general recollections of that time in your life? I do. You know, I can't say uh, a lot, you know, but I, I do have uh, a lot of recollections. I mean, a good amount of recollections from the time I was there. I mean, I was eight when I moved, so I do have, you know, third, second or third grade. So I have some good recollections of, you know, playing out in the playground at my elementary school. And uh, my dad's family was all in England at that time. So they'd all moved from India to London and my mom's family was still in, in India. So I do have a lot of recollections of my grandparents and my uncles and aunts there in uh, in London and my cousins. So I, it is you know, there are fond memories uh, from being there. And I have to ask, what caused your parents to make those moves from India to London, then to Michigan? You know, and a lot of credit goes to my parents. You know, I think they view themselves as visionaries. You know, right? they, you know, they, they grew up in India. 
went to England, you know, and just saw a lot of different issues, you know, maybe there was, you know, discrimination issues or other issues with being able to advance and have good careers. And I think my, my parents just decided to take the leap and say, listen, if we move to America, where my uncle, my mom's brother lived in Michigan, he was a lawyer um, at a general counsel at a, um, a large uh, pipeline company. I think my parents looked at it and said, listen, if we, you know, for us to have a better life and a better future for our kids, you know, this is a place where we want to be. And, you know, outside of not of my my parents uh, siblings um, did anything like that you know uh, in moving to America my parents just took a chance they knew one person here my, my uncle and decided that we were gonna they were gonna make a move to the United States and their view was to provide a better life for their kids going moving forward and more opportunities for their kids Wow and I'd say you know it certainly sounds like it worked out <laughs> based on the conversation we're going to have but I think when you look back at decisions like that in retrospect yeah I'm sure it was a major leap of faith did they know what they were going to do in terms of like occupations once they they moved here? Well, it was your typical um, story, you know, moving here and just saying, we're going to figure it out. And they did, you know, they they, they figured it out. Um, And um, yeah, you know, I think they are very proud of my sister and I who have, you know, obviously done pretty well, you know, and I think they're, it's nice to see that their vision, you know, came to life. And then what's the age gap between you and your sister? Uh, four years. She's she's four years younger. So we will move forward. But I really like hearing about this, particularly for our CEO at Foley and Lardner, because it's a nice reminder that you weren't born CEO at a law firm to hear you sort of unpack your formative years. Do you remember what it was like when you actually moved from London to Michigan and had to switch schools and all that? Was that difficult or no big deal at the time? You know, at that time, it, it wasn't a big deal. I, I think I was young enough, and this was, was kind of exciting, you know. You know, so I, I don't recall it being a traumatic experience. But we can get to a later move, which was was more of a traumatic experience. Uh, but when I switched, uh, you know, high schools, and you know, as a freshman, that was uh, sort of like, oh, what are we doing here? But from that perspective, no, it wasn't. It was exciting. It was something new, you know, and it was uh, it was fun. So you make the move. Give me a sense. You know, your your family moves here. You settle in. Let's say I found you in middle school before that traumatic high school switch. What sort of things were you in as a kid? How would you describe yourself as a kid? And I'll say many of our attorneys fall into either bookish or athletes. So I don't know if you fall into either of those camps, but what were your what were your interests? What were your hobbies when you were in, say, middle school? I think it was probably maybe a little bit of both. So I, you know, maybe I'm just, you know, thinking about myself in that way. And that's how I went around to remember myself, right? So maybe you need to ask somebody else, not me. You know, I was fortunate enough when we moved and we bought a house here, you know, in Michigan, that there were some kids my age, you know, that were like across the street. So, um, you know, we were, you know, play basketball, you know, soccer, baseball, whatever in the backyard. So I made some friends quickly and, you know, got into sports. But yeah, I, I would say I'm generally an introvert. And I think I've always been more of an introvert. So yes, I was bookish. And, you know, I think one of the, the goals of my, my my parents had always been, you would come to the United States, you're going to study hard, you're going to do well. And also, yeah, my focus was on being more of a bookish, you know, making sure I got my math and sciences down right. But also it was not, you know, I did, you know, I, I, as I was growing up, I played a lot of soccer. Um, My parents were really good about getting us involved in sports, you know, and making sure that we, you know, you know, did physical activity and also just use that as a um, method to to meet people, right? And my my dad actually was a big cricket player. You know, he played cricket as a kid in in, in India and even in London. He would play in the club club cricket sport, cricket teams. And even when he moved here, he found some people to play cricket with. You know, in, in Michigan. So he was always more kind of an athlete. You know, and he wanted to make sure that you know us kids got into that. So I played a little bit. I can't say I was ever great at any of them, but I played. You know, and, and active. Yeah, I was active. Well, and I have to close the loop on your parents, which is so they you, they move here. And what did they end up finding in terms of of work in Michigan? So my dad ended up working at a pipeline company. You know, he worked at uh, A&R Pipeline, which was a natural gas storage company for a while. Then he moved over to DTE Energy and he worked in their kind of their purchasing um, department. How about your mom? My mom uh, worked at home. Perfect. Keep that, which is plenty of work. And you're, of course, not the first attorney I've had on who immigrated to the U.S. And there's just a wide variety of stories. And I think in some ways there can be shared experiences, but in some ways they're very different. But it's no small feat to come here and reestablish a life. So that is just fantastic to learn about. And you mentioned a maybe more traumatic move, which was, did you have to switch high schools? You switched high school, essentially, or moved schools for high school. Yeah, yeah. And I, that one, maybe I'm exaggerating in terms of a traumatic experience. But you know what? From between, you know, we moved from Troy, Michigan, 
to Rochester Hills, Michigan, you know, probably a five or 10 mile move. Right. But it was right at the time where I was going into high school. And like I mentioned, I had made a lot of friends in that area in in Troy and, you know, neighbors were, were friends. And then all of a sudden we kind of moved up and, you know, moved to Rochester and I'm starting high school in a new area where I didn't know anybody, you know, it worked out, worked out well. Again, my, my parents looked at it from the perspective of it was a great school system, you know, that would be a great place for us to, you know, my sister to go through middle school and high school, me to go through high school. And, you know, it worked out well. You know, I got moved there, met some good friends and people that I stay in touch with till today. And uh, it worked out well. But at the same time, you put yourself in a, uh, you know, 15 year old's mindset and be like, what are we doing here? It's the end of the world. When you're 14, 15 years old, switching school districts is basically one of the worst things you can you can do <laughs> at that age. But okay, so you're in high school. I don't know if there's anything to highlight in terms of activities there, but I'm curious about the thought process for college. How did you decide where you were going to go and where did you go? Well, I went to the University of Michigan, which was a school that I always, you know, as a kid followed. I was, you know, a sports fan. So watching them, you know, and their basketball teams and their football teams are great. You know, it's a great school, local, you know, and I think, but part of it was I didn't look too far. You know, I think being a first generation kid in Michigan, my parents wanted me to stay close. Michigan was a great university right down the street. You know, I quite frankly wanted to stay close. I didn't really have any desires to go cross country or go somewhere else. So I chose Michigan and, uh, you know, we're fortunate enough here in Michigan to have a, a great school in our backyard. You know, we sometimes take it for granted, but uh, it was uh, it was a great experience. And that's how I ended up at Michigan. Well, and listeners, if you listen to more than one episode of the show, you know that I won't object to that as a Michigan alumni, <laughs> at least for, for Michigan law. And occasionally I, I get concerned the podcast could be polarizing because there is a lot of Michigan here. When I get Michigan, either undergrad or law school folks, maybe there's a little bit too much go blue. But if that is something you really enjoy, I would say as a listener, go check out David Sanders' episode because he's Mr. Michigan at Foley and Lardner. But you you go to Michigan and what was the thought process? What were you going to major in or did you even know when you started? I don't think I really knew. I sort of kind of knew that I wanted to do something business related. You know, I got into some poli-sci classes. I think I had an idea that I wanted to be a lawyer down the road. You know, and, you know, I, like I said, my uncle was a, a lawyer. He was a general counsel. That seemed interesting. You know, it seems like, you know, it was either doctor, lawyer, engineer. I, I don't know, you know, what I was going to be, right? And doctor was not going to happen for me. That wasn't where my skill set was, um, you know. And so, you know, but but I also kind of had a tendency towards, you know, being interested in more business-related courses. And, you know, uh, so I, I picked up on economics and um, I liked it. I was good at it. And, um, you know, then statistics and math-based courses. I, I was I was really good at math and I probably took calculus eight or nine for some reason, you know, stuff that I've never used ever since I took those classes, but I was good at it. And then economics just sort of stuck with me. You know, I really enjoyed those courses and that's what I ended up majoring in is economics. And how was the transition to college in general? Did it was it pretty well or was it an adjustment at all? You know, I think it was an adjustment for me. Um, it's, uh, I think it's always an adjustment. I sometimes, I mean, maybe it's just my generation was more of an adjustment, you know, but, you know, it's, it's amazing. My son's a freshman at Michigan right now, right? And I don't think he had an adjustment. He just, he was fine. He's fine. You know, he's just, you know, going off, doing really well. And, uh, but maybe it was, maybe it's my generation. It was just more of an adjustment being a first generation kid here in the, in the United States. It, it was a little bit of an adjustment, but you know, it, it went well. It was, it was fine. And it was nice to be close to, to home where I was able to kind of go back and forth in a 40 minute drive whenever I wanted to be home. And, uh, but yeah, it was, I would say it was an, a little bit of an adjustment. All right. And I could be wrong here because a lot of my understanding of Michigan sports is through osmosis from my husband. But I believe you were at the University of Michigan at a time when they were doing pretty well. And I'm not sure if it was basketball or football. I don't know which one. But I was talking to another Foley partner here who was like, when you get Daljeet on the show, you need to ask him about Michigan sports and any exposure he had to athletes while he was on campus. <laughs> so if you know what I'm talking about, help me out here. And if not, we'll just remove this whole section from the show and pretend like it didn't. I do know what you're talking about. Your first question, I, Michigan was doing really well in sports at, at the time I was there. In the early 90s, it was doing well in football. We had great football teams. And then the, what people are talking about is the basketball piece of it. You know, that's when the, the Fab Five showed up in 1991 when I was a sophomore and they were, you know, you know, Chris Weber, Jalen Rose, Juan Howard, you know, and those guys, they were, you know, took the 
took the country by storm in, in terms of basketball. And I was asked to be a tutor to some of them. In one of my poli sci classes, I, you know, there was a um, junior that was in that class and um, the teacher had set me up with him to tutor him. And then from there, it went on to tutoring some of those other members of the Fab Five and, you know, working with them on some of their classes and uh, making sure they, uh, they did well. You know, so uh, that's that was my exposure to athletes uh, in Michigan. That is very cool. And so, as you can see, I know just enough to get myself in trouble <laughs> with some of, and even before we got on. I know, and I know just enough to not divulge too much of what my interactions with them were. There you go. We've touched it. We'll keep it moving. But no, prior to um, starting, I was like, I think it's the Fab Five, but I really didn't want to mess that up. So I'm glad I, I, my inclination was correct. I had a good guess. But okay, so let's keep moving. You've finish Michigan, or at least you're closing in on finishing in college. What were your thoughts on next steps? Did you know it was law school or what was that process like for you? I pretty much knew it was law school. So I went straight from undergrad to law school. And, you know, I think, I mean, just part of where my head was just, you know, some family background, like I mentioned, my uncle here was a general counsel and kind of focused on business law, but also on my mom's side of the family, we have a lot of lawyers in India. And it was just something that's, you know, based within kind of my family background, uh, that, it, that it was is something that interested me. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go to law school. You know, what else am I going to do? I just finished undergrad and it's time to go to law school. I can identify with that. That was my story. It's like, get a job? No, let me, let me go ahead and figure out how to go to law school. So where did you go to law school and how did you decide on that school? So I went to Notre Dame. And I know people are going to be like, Notre Dame, you know, you went to Michigan undergrad. So I ended up going to Notre Dame and, you know, I applied to a number of different schools. And I thought part of my thought process was I wanted to still stay close to Michigan. Notre Dame's not that far away. It was a great school. I got a nice scholarship there. And one of the things that I noticed about Notre Dame, again, very good school, well-regarded, was that it was a, it's a smaller school. It's got a bigger perception, but it's a smaller school. And I think one of the things I learned about by myself by going there, which I really liked, was Michigan was fabulous. It's a fabulous school, got a great law school, but it's a bigger law school, right? And you go to Notre Dame and, you know, my class size was about 150, 160. Each classroom I was in, 25 people taught by a professor, just more one-on-one learning. And I really, I think at some point, just even learned even till today, I look back and say my my style is I'm more comfortable in smaller groups. And just that learning experience, being in that smaller group within that town and that school, it was an amazing experience. And I, and I still have some really good friends, you know, from Notre Dame. Uh, one of our one of my really good friends from uh, my law school classmate joined us in Orlando office last month. And uh, it's it was that environment at Notre Dame, which you can, it's hard to explain, but I can see why it has such a great alumni network because South Bend is a town that's built around that university. So it's not like Ann Arbor where you go there and there's just so much to do, right? People spread all over the town and do different things. Notre Dame, people are, it's a tighter community. People get to know each other better. They spend time with each other. I think the learning environment is great. So I had a really good time from the perspective of my education at Notre Dame. And I, I kind of had a sense that, that that's what the school is going to be like when I decided to go there. And it played out really well. And what I tell people from the football perspective, I learned not to hate Notre Dame. You know, when you're at Michigan, you don't, you just have that rivalry, right? You know, when I go into Notre Dame, I would say, as long as they're not playing Michigan, I still bleed the maize and blue. As long as they're not playing Michigan, I like to see Notre Dame do well. Well, I probably wouldn't have said that before I went there. You definitely wouldn't have. The only thing that would be different is if you had you gone to Michigan and then to Ohio State for law school. And I actually, I have some friends who did the opposite, where they were Notre Dame undergrad, Michigan for law school. And being around anybody who's gone to Notre Dame for undergrad, I think the first question they ask other Notre Dame alums is, what dorm were you in? And so, like you said, that that the school centering around, or the town centering around the school, I think is absolutely, absolutely right. I'm curious, and I've realized this was some time ago, and we have a lot to cover over the rest of our time together. But I do want to ask, do you remember at all what the adjustment to law school was like for you? Was it at all surprising? Was it easy? Was it jarring? Do you do you recall your experience? You know, there's two aspects of it to it. One was I did find it a little different and hard because so much of your grade less rests on your final exam. You know, it's like, you know, so you really have to be more self-disciplined about keeping up with things and being prepared and, you know, and not just 
procrastinating. So that was an adjustment because I'm used to in you know high school, you know college, you know you, you just kind of keep on a flow of things. So law school was a little different. I mean, there was a lot of reading, and that wasn't you know like I said earlier, you know economics, statistics, math, numbers. That was my game, you know. And now I'm I'm reading a lot, you know, and, and then there's no clear answers, you know, math and stats. You know, you have an answer at the end of the day. Um, you don't in, in law. It's there's a lot of gray, which is you learn to appreciate, but I think that was a little bit of a an experience. And I'll, I will say, my first year in law school was tough because you know at Notre Dame, what they do is they put you into Civ Pro, evidence, criminal law, stuff that I probably didn't have that interest in, you know, because I kind of knew I wanted to do business law, and I'm like, where are the business law classes? Everyone's a litigator. You are litigation focused that that first year with all those doctrinal courses, but I just I really like having our attorneys reflect on that time period because of the law students listening to hear that it's difficult for many people. And even if you have, you struggle in law school, it doesn't mean necessarily anything for how you're going to do as a lawyer. And I just think it can be powerful to hear that. And a good reminder, if you know that you are business focused, that first year can be tough because to even have a case written about it, it means it went into litigation. <laughs> so yes, absolutely. But you adjusted. And, and like you said, that lack of feedback, there's no feedback throughout. It's just... It's just that one grade. And some of the um, worst grades I've heard people get were the people who were like, well, I answered it. I gave the answer because there's really one answer. <laughs> and please, law students, don't base your essays on anything I say right now. But generally speaking, what law school about is about it, pretty first semester, first year is exploring shades of gray. That was tough for me because I, I remember at some point my first year calling up my parents and being like, I said, I don't know if this is right for me. You know, I, I don't think this is the place that, that I want to be, you know, and, and I think, you know, their view was be patient, you know, and, 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 I, and I was and, you know, worked my way through it. And then the next year, you know, it got, it got better because I got to start taking classes that I, I was interested in. And then also, I, I got to say, I had a really traumatic experience my first year because, you know, you got to be prepared, right? Because you got the Socratic method, teachers are calling on you, so you got to be prepared every day. And we were in a small enough class where, you know, size enough class that if you got called, when you got called on in criminal law, you were pretty much, you could say you're done for the semester, right? You get called on once, you have to run the class, and you were done for the semester. I didn't get called on all year. I, so I was preparing till the ex absolute last day so hard because I was, you know, afraid to get called on, right? And I'm convinced the professor couldn't pronounce my name, so he just skipped me. Because some people got called twice. So I'm like on pins and needles all year in this class. It was an 8 a.m. class, and I'm just like, oh, come on. <laughs> what motivation, though? You just stayed on, on top of it just in case today was your day to get called on. Oh, my goodness. But you do bring back that. There's a little bit of anxiety there. I remember advice that I got advice that I got from somebody was to essentially be wrong confidently. And so at Michigan, a lot of our classes were your full section of 70 or 80 students. And yes, very much the Socratic method. But if you were going to say the sky is green, say it loud so the whole room can hear. <laughs> and you're going to be wrong and the president's going to tell you wrong. But you know what? No one had to strain to hear that. And you projected confidence in your incorrectness. <laughs> and, you know, we'll see how much advice we get into for, you know, junior lawyers and lawyers in general. But that confidence is important in a law firm setting. And I have a feeling we may talk more about that. But I'm not saying to be wrong confidently when you're advising anybody. So, so please no one misinterpret me. But okay, so but you do you figure out law school, you make your way through, then then what's next? I mean, of course, I know you, you jump to private practice. But I'm wondering if did you always know that what you wanted to do was be a firm lawyer? No, I didn't, you know, but it sounds so boring, right? You know, it's like I sort of just followed the pathway. You know, that's what people did. You know, you, you were a 2L, so you interviewed for jobs, for summer associate jobs at law firms. And, and I did that. I got an offer and, you know, worked as a summer associate in a law firm and it was a good experience. Um, you know, it just seemed like the the path, although I did get some advice from people that, listen, if you want to be a general counsel someday or do something like that, you want to go to a law firm, you want to get a good breadth of experience and, you know, get, you know, get your sea legs under you, get some experience, and then, you know, you can always do other things, right? So that was the pathway I followed. And, you know, I worked as a summer associate for uh, a law firm. It was a great experience. I joined them right after uh, graduating from law school. 
And so I know you spent the first three years or so with that firm before joining Foley, but I would love some just general reflections on those early years in terms of figuring out your practice area and also just picking up skills of how to be a lawyer. I think practice area, I kind of knew I wanted to do corporate law, right? You know, so I went in with that um, sort of mindset. I, I pretty much told that firm that, that um, that's what I wanted to do, right? If they were going to put me into real estate or something else, that really wasn't my my skill set. There were, you know, people asking me to join the bankruptcy groups, people asking me to join the tax group at that time, the environmental group. I was actually interested in, in tax because like I said, you know, I've had that background of math and wanting answers and, and tax has maybe a little bit more answers than than some of the other areas of the law. And, and I got some really good advice from a... Uh, partner at that firm when I was just kind of talking about what practice areas I, I, I go into. And that person was a tax lawyer by trade, moved into more of an M&A environment. And his view was tax law is great, right? You know, but if you, you know, as an M&A lawyer, you can get a little bit of experience in all that different areas, right? If you want to go and become a general counsel someday, or, you know, in, in your career, having that broader experience in the M&A group may be more beneficial to you, you know, into where you go. And and tax laws was great. We have a lot of fine tax lawyers, and, and I, I was really interested in, in in tax law. But you know, I, that was some good advice because it, it, it fit my personality, I think, more because I, I like that broader broader area and and things that you know, seeing seeing a broader spectrum of a business and getting involved in broader spectrums of a business than the one finite special practice area. So that was some good advice that I got you know early in my years, and and really we was you know it was you know late '90s, and there was just a lot of M and A activity, a lot of venture capital activity. It was before that bubble burst in the early 2000s. And there was just a lot of work in that area. I just jumped right in. It was jumping right in. You know, it, um, they had some good mentors. There were some good people that would train me, but it, but it really was just jumping into the practice. Okay. There's a couple things, a few threads I want to pull on. One, you talked about personality, and that actually comes up quite a bit in this show, is I think finding the practice that's the right fit for your personality and for your interests. And it's Definitely. I think it's an art. I don't think it's it's a science because at the same time, you're also balancing that with the needs of the firm, with what's happening in the world, with where the work is. But I do like that you highlighted, frankly, that just certain practices fit better with certain types of people. And I think one of the hardest things early in your career is figuring out what area you know of that firm kind of lights you up the most. So I don't know if that's a fair way that I characterize it or if you have any other thoughts on that, but I did want to tease that out because I think that's a real um, nugget of wisdom for the for the more junior lawyers listening. I think that's it's very important, right? It's sort of it's it's what fits your personality and what you're going to enjoy doing, right? And get the most satisfaction of. Because, you know, another part to your question was first few years, I mean, I was working all around the clock. I was working a lot, right? So in anything you do in life, if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's just going to be a bear. You know, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect your personality. It's going to affect you. It's going to affect your family. It's going to affect everybody. So, you know, you have to really enjoy what you're doing and it has to fit your personality in, in anything you do, whether it's the law or business or whatever you're doing. If you enjoy it, you're definitely going to do better at it and be a happier person. And when you work so hard, you you need to you need to be in that area. So, you know, doing something that you enjoy. I think that is wonderful insight. It's something that I say repeatedly because the person who's interest and curiosity and maybe even a little bit of passion about what they're doing, they will outwork you. And I know that that it, in some ways it's, it's a privilege to be able to find that alignment. But if you can, definitely do it because it leads to fulfillment in what you do. The other thing is you said you just you jumped right in. And that there was a lot going on. Um, you worked a lot in those early years. And, you know, I think most big firm lawyers, you know, quote unquote, work a lot. Although I'm just curious because I think it's powerful for the junior lawyers to hear, you know, senior partner, now CEO of our firm, to reflect a bit on closing that gap. I'm not sure if you got a lot of feedback or how you handled things that maybe didn't go so well, but I just think it can be interesting to hear somebody senior in their career acknowledge that, yes, it took me some years to actually develop skills and you know, people gave me feedback when I maybe didn't do things perfectly the first time. Absolutely. And, um, and I think feedback is critical. I mean, especially for us corporate lawyers, I didn't really come out of law school with a skill set. You know, maybe some litigators do come out, you know, knowing the you know, evidence rules and other civil procedure rules that, that help in their practice. 
for business lawyer, there wasn't much, you know, that I came out of law school with in terms of saying I, I'm going to walk in with this skill set that's going to be put to use by the law firm. Um, other than you know the hard the skills you learn in terms of hard work and dedication and you know critical thinking, thinking on your feet, you, you do learn a lot in law school. But from the skill set perspective, you learn on the job. And of course, made a ton of mistakes. You know, I mean, you, you know, it's 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 a little daunting the first time you get one of those red, you know hand marked up red pen documents from a partner, and you're like, oh my god, I blew this. <laughs> you know, I was I wasn't even anywhere near near the right page on this. But but you learn, right? You you learn not to make the same mistakes twice. You you take the feedback, and you know, with somebody that's excelled, you know, in school and, you know, high school, college, law school, and then you come to an environment where you are really just totally learning and need that experience from mentors. It's, you know, you kind of sit back and say, you know, listen, maybe I don't know what I'm doing here. And maybe that's okay. At some point, you realize that you need to take the feedback from people and you have to be mentored and you just get better and you work hard at getting better. And over time, you learn and you learn through mentorship. And that is a huge mindset shift to go from, I wanted it to have an A plus on the top to get something that is fully marked up because, by the way, there's no way you could have known. Now, even if you pull all the precedent and get all the advice, like there's just going to be some things that could be improved. But I just think as junior lawyers, if you can learn to embrace that feeling and not want to run away from it and maybe even ask that partner if they'd be willing to sit down with you for 15 minutes to review all those red marks, that stuff is really powerful and often makes the partners want to work with you more because I know this person can take feedback well and and will learn. So I just think that's a great lesson. But okay, so what we've done so far is we've talked about your early years in practice. I mentioned how you did join Foley about three years into practice. So we're talking around the year 2000. And I want to hear just a little bit for you about that transition then from, let's say, from associate to partner, which once again was quite some time ago. But was there a shift where you decided law firm practice is for me? I'm, you know, I, I'm going to focus on making partner and I'm then going to stay at this firm, Foley and Lardner. I'm not quite sure if there was ever any change because it sounds like maybe for a while you thought going in house was going to be what you did. It was very, you know, kind of fortunate, you know, how, you know, sometimes luck and timing just works in your favor, right? I mean, I was a third year at this other law firm and it was great. I was having a good experience, great mentors, you know, I I liked it, you know, and I was happy there. But part of me was like, yeah, maybe I should explore other opportunities. I was getting phone calls, you know, from going in to be assistant general counsels or different companies. And, you know, it's somewhere in the back of my head, maybe I thought that's what I wanted to do. Then, you know, so as I was exploring different things, you know, Foley decided to open up an office in Detroit. And one of the, you know, even just if it was an early frustration I was seeing in my career was we were at the firm I was at, we were doing a lot of great work for clients, you know, some large, large, you know, organizations and doing some good work for them. You know, but we were doing their smaller transactions and smaller work. And when something big came along, I remember one particular client, they went and hired a Chicago law firm to do the work. And I think the thought process was they needed a national law firm to do the work with the bench strength a national law firm would have and the name recognition a national law firm would have versus the regional firm I was at. And, you know, from our perspective, we're like, we're, you know, good lawyers, we can do that deal, you know, uh, but, but the, you know, the company was, you know, going towards a Chicago firm and going for a more national law firm. And that was the time when Foley opened up uh, an office and I literally was coming out of an interview for a assistant general counsel's position. And I saw that Foley had opened up an office in Detroit and Steve Hilfinger, who uh, has been a mentor to me here at Foley was joining. And uh, Steve is somebody who I'd met because he was looking for me to a while, a while before that, looking for me to try to maybe join the firm he was at, which at that time was another Michigan-based law firm. So then Steve and I connected and I started learning about what's Foley doing here in Detroit. And it really was aligned with what I was seeing going on, which was, you know, sort of having that local accountability, but being a national law firm and having that presence in Michigan, given the strong manufacturing footprint that Foley had, that was a natural extension of where they needed to be in Detroit to capture some of that work that was leaving the state and going to those Chicago law firms, other national law firms, Foley. So had a vision of coming into Michigan and capturing that work. 
work. And same sort of frustration I was maybe seeing where I was. So, you know, Steve and I got to talking. I came in, met, you know, the five or six partners that were starting up the office. At that time, it was about five people. And the other part that really excited me about Foley, and um, I'll get to why that, you know, it sort of made me change my shift of focus about maybe going in, in-house someday to being at a law firm and being a partner in a law firm. You know, it excited me because it was an entrepreneurial environment. The way I looked at it was, it's almost like a startup, but with the backing of a large organization and a large firm with at that time, maybe 600 lawyers nationally, 18 or 19 offices maybe at that time, but an office of five people that are looking to grow this to something that you know we can all be proud of and be integrated within the law firm. So that really excited me where I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. I can be part of an entrepreneurial environment, kind of have that business focus, help you know practice great law, work with great people, work for a large national organization, but also be part of a growth strategy for a, a law firm in this market. So that really, again, just got me excited about, you know, not only practicing law, but also being part of a growth of an organization. And that's kind of what brought me over to Foley. That's what excited me and wanted me to maybe make the decision to come to Foley. And and I guess the rest is history. You know, it's been an amazing platform. I I really didn't look um, or think about doing anything else, you know, that that vision of growing it from five to, you know, 40 some came to fruition, full service office with... um, you know, all the different disciplines covered here in Detroit, but also very well integrated within the national law firm platform where we're working with people all around the country and supporting each other as one firm versus, you know, not not a separate office of the firm. We are one national law firm and Detroit office is very well integrated in it. So it's been amazing. And I've had the fortune along the way to be the office managing partner of the Detroit office for six years and help be a part of that growth uh, strategy that, um, you know, I was so excited about when I when I joined Foley and um, obviously being able to just uh, honored to be able to take it to another level by um, helping lead this firm going forward too. Well, I love that origin story, by the way, and listeners can't appreciate this, but my video went out. So Dalji can't see me just beaming as he's explaining this because there's so many things you covered there in terms of, I think, the growth of the firm, the culture of the firm, what excited you about really having such an integral role and I think leading and building the Detroit office, even as an associate, which is often opportunities that when you have the occasion, whether it be at, say, a firm like like Foley, we kind of have this dynamic going on, I think, by the way, in our Salt Lake City office right now, or at another firm that when you're helping to grow an office, just that feeling of ownership and responsibility even at the most junior levels, which I think is something we often don't talk about within the context of large law firms. I love that you're able to touch on it. It's very, just very exciting. And then also you started highlighting some of the other leadership roles you've held in the firm. You just mentioned that you were office managing partner of Detroit for six years. And I was hoping you could highlight some of the other leadership roles you've had because it certainly doesn't end there. So I will stop to let you explain some of the other ways in which you've led the firm in the past. Yeah, so I was, you know, it probably started earlier in my career as becoming a partner. You know, I was the local office business law chair um, of our business law department here in the Detroit office. We have um, people that chair and have responsibilities at the local level. I, I did that for a little while. Then I moved on to being the managing partner of the Detroit office for six years and helped us, uh, you know, grow and integrate more within the firm. Then from there, I went on to be the department chair for our business law department, which is about... 500, um, somewhere around 500 lawyers within our organization. So I, uh, I chaired that for about four years. You know, that was a great experience. It's um, probably one of the more, more rewarding experiences I've had to date, you know, in terms of being able to just get out and meet people all around our organization. I think I probably, during my tenure, visited, I think I visited almost every single office in the firm, spent time with people. Uh, I was um, very intimately involved with our combination that we had with the uh, Gardier firm in Texas and Mexico City and Denver, you know, and really spent a lot of time working on the integration of that firm into into our combined firm, which was a, a real big success. And it's just been nice to spend that time getting to know our colleagues around the firm. And you just, every time I I get out and, you know, you spend a lot of time behind your desk working on transactions, working on strategy, working on things, things that will benefit the long term of of the firm. But then when you get out and spend so much time on the road and get to meet people, it's really rewarding to see what 
great people we have in this firm and just reinforces how great our people are, the wonderful culture we have within the firm and how much people care about each other and focus on mentorship and also focusing on stewardship and making this firm a a better place for all of us. And that was a really rewarding experience. And then um, I was elected to the management committee um, about three years ago or two or three years ago. And have been that was a great experience. Also, I, um, I you know typically you give up the department chair role when you go on the management committee, just so we don't have um, conflicts of interest or people holding both of those roles. But I had the uh, I guess fortune or, or misfortune of having to run that for for an, for an extra year given COVID. It wasn't the right time to make a transition out, just because um, we had just uh, gotten into the pandemic, and um, so I kept that on for another year and, and worked was on the management committee and uh, as a department chair. For, for an extra year. And then recently, as, as you know, um, a few months ago, the, the firm um, elected me or appointed me as the next uh, chair and CEO of the firm, which I'm, I'm honored to be selected for that. I, I can't say I ever um, imagined that or saw that coming or was anything I ever really aspired to. Uh, I've just always had the attitude of put my head down, doing good work, you know, trying to be a good leader in my leadership positions and make the firm a better place for, for all of us going forward. And but by, when I was elected, I was obviously honored to do that. And I'm excited to, to move forward and help lead this firm. We lead as a group. You know, we have so many talented people within our firm. And, you know, I'm just I'm really here to help uh, help uh, lead and serve our people. It is very exciting. And before we dive into that a little bit more, I do have to backtrack and say, I would say it was fortunate that you were department chair of business law for an extra year because that's when I had the occasion to work with you. So I routinely meet, just so the listeners know, I routinely meet with the chairs and vice chairs of our legal departments. And so, of course, when Daljeet was chair of business law, we would meet for a variety of reasons. And I actually, we were just talking about before we jumped on the podcast, had asked him to be on the show then. And the timing just never quite worked out. But we were saying how great it is now that we can have him in as he's, you know, stepping into the role of CEO. So that was a fortunate thing for me, Daljeet. Just had to make that clear. It was great working with you. And that was right around the time you started, you know, and you've just done a fabulous job for us in your role uh, within the firm. And it was really great to work with you. And I'm looking forward to continuing working with you. I know. And more to come. But also, we've been teasing it a little bit, but specifically with you stepping into the role of CEO and, you know, Chairman Ofoli and Lardner, there's some things that I want to flag for folks that maybe they, they realize or maybe they don't, but I have to. I'm obligated to as the firm's Director of Diversity and Inclusion. You will be one of very few people of color leading AMLA 50 law firms. Of course, there's a tremendous amount of leadership experience and practice area expertise and just overall business acumen. But as the director of diversity and inclusion, I have to highlight that because I've actually had the occasion in talking to law students thinking about Foley, actually talking to a law student of South Asian descent recently and saying, you know, actually our firm's incoming CEO is the same background as you. And it was the first time that I'd had the opportunity to do that. So I just think there's a number of people and communities inspired by your ascent into the leadership at Foley. And I just have to say that out loud and get it recognized. And, you know, I don't know if you have any comments on just that part of the kind of the diversity inclusion lens that you'll be able to bring as leader at, at Foley and Lardner. I've loved seeing some of the various comments you've made both in the media and to the firm about that focus on talent and people, which to me means diversity and inclusion. But I suppose that's also my segue into that and just your thoughts on DEI as it relates to being CEO and chairman of Foley and Lardner. Thanks for raising that, Alexis. I mean, obviously, I'm proud to be the CEO of this firm, you know, and it's uh definitely proud that, you know, somebody uh, of, you know, South Asian descent is, you know, ascending to a, a leadership role within a firm of our size. But I, but I will say, you know, to take a step back from that, you know, and I think maybe, you know, I know your question was about DE&I and, and our, our focus on that probably on the go forward. I don't want it to be lost that, you know, I'm not in the position I am today without our firm's commitment to diversity and, and people giving me opportunities, right? You, you put the right person in the position, but hopefully I am an example of how focused our firm has been, you know, not only going forward, but in the past on diversity, because, you know, somebody along the way gave me opportunities, gave me opportunities to find leadership positions, gave me an opportunity to prove myself, gave me the opportunity to find myself in a position where the firm would, you know, select me as 
as the next chairman and CEO. And that goes to our diversity that's, you know, initiatives that have been here for years. It's not something that's going to change going forward. Sometimes it's not highlighted or, or thought about from the outside, but, you know, part of, you know, focusing on diversity efforts is giving people opportunities, putting people in leadership positions, giving them opportunities to shine, putting them into, you know, large transactions, you know, and giving them those opportunities to become the best lawyer they can and then become the best leader they can. And that the, this firm has given me all those opportunities in the past. And that's that's one of the reasons why I'm here where I in the position I am today. It's because of this firm and its commitment to diversity and inclusion. And um, going forward, absolutely, that's going to be a bit, big focus of our you know, we are in the business of bringing in great people and not only just bringing them in, retaining them, giving them the opportunities to advance, giving them the right career path going forward. You know, we plan for our attorneys. We plan for their careers. You know, I mean, some firms plan for attrition and then are focused on their attrition numbers. You know, we are focused on our attrition numbers. You know, we don't want to lose good people. But the way you, you do that is you focus on people's careers and you invest in their careers from the beginning of when they get here. And we plan for those careers with our people. We don't plan for attrition. And, uh, you know, that's going to continue to be a big focus of ours as a firm. And I think it has been a focus of ours for years. And that's, I mean, frankly, it's one of the reasons I'm sitting here because as a lot of listeners know, I was a summer associate at Foley and Lardner and also a good friend of mine is a partner at Foley from, you know, law school, watched his career over the past 15 years. And I knew that culturally the foundation at Foley was always in place with that focus on people because to me, people and diversity and inclusion are interchangeable, right? The whole goal is to work with and develop all kinds of people. And this may be where, you know, it might start sounding a bit cliche what we're saying, Daljeet. You know, these are the things that they say in leadership classes. <laughs> but truly, that that focus on the individual and their experience. And I very much believe there's things about Foley that really differentiate us from other large law firms. You just said, and it may sound kind of buzzwordy, but it's absolutely true, planning not for attrition, but planning for careers. You you see that in our our leverage currently at the firm. We're about one-to-one -one associate to partner ratio. We're not a firm where, you know, we need seven associates to leave, you know, in order for one person to make partner, which I think very much speaks to what you were just saying. And so all of that makes my talent management professional heart sing as you say those things. And I have to be careful not to riff on it for too long, but I can't stress that enough. And I love that you very much is what you highlighted. You've been the direct beneficiary of that that focus of that culture at Foley. But I do think with you being CEO of the firm, we do have to spend a little more time talking about culture of the firm because it is so important. And you also said the word stewardship earlier. So I sort of just want to set you free on what is Foley's culture? I assume it's Foley's culture that has kept you here these 20 plus years. And then could you talk a little bit about stewardship? Because I feel like I can't have our CEO on without getting you to speak a little bit about that and why it's so important at Foley. So culture, I mean, I think that's, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say I think, I know that's what keeps people here, right? I mean, it's a very competitive town environment today, right? And, and you have to be competitive, uh, but also what, what, what's going to keep people here? It's going to be your culture, you know, having that collaborative culture, the respectful culture, the mutual respect of each other. That's one thing that I'm really focused on. And as I'm going out and talking to our colleagues around the firm, one of the things I'm stressing, if there's one thing... I will say I, I ask of people, and there'll be a lot of things I ask of people, right? But the one thing that I'm highlighting is I, I want a culture of mutual respect. And I think we have we have that here at Foley, but that's what, what you want at the end of the day. You want to feel like you're in an environment where you're working together as teams, you're collaborative, and you're respected. And if you have those three things, you know, you're going to enjoy your experience. And like we talked about earlier, right, what keeps you here? What kept me here? It's, you know, it's the great experience I've gotten as a firm, but it's the culture. I enjoy the people I work with. I, I feel respected. I feel valued. I, I feel like there's a career path here for me and, and there's clear expectations and people give clear feedback. But, you know, if you enjoy the environment you're working in, that's going to take you a long way. I mean, people can always go somewhere else and make more money. That's just the reality of life. But as long as you're competitive in the marketplace when it comes to, to salaries and compensation, what's keeping you at a particular organization is the culture and how you feel. And we are really focused on building teams. It's, you know, you go to law school you, and you come out of law school, it's, you kind of learn to work by yourself. That's kind of the environment you see in a law school. It's sort of like you're almost like a silo and you're working by yourself. And it's interesting, you know, I, my, my son's a freshman at the Ross School of Business 
business at, at Michigan. So I'll give another one of my Michigan plugs here. But, you know, I walk around that, you know, that school environment and you, I talk to him about his classes and they're all team-based. They're all working together as teams. You walk around the school, everyone's got their laptops out. They're sitting, talking to each other. They're working on projects together. That's an exciting environment. And I think as a law firm, we have to get more towards that environment. And that is what we're trying to build more here at Foley is those teams to, you know, have people learn from each other, work together, be collaborative with each other. And, and that culture, I think really, you know, it feeds on itself. When you have that sort of environment, people enjoy working together. They enjoy being with each other. And that's what keeps you here. Um, and, and I worry about that a little bit. I mean, given the pandemic and all the remote work that, that we've had, we've operated really well in that environment. But I worry, are our people losing that connectivity to each other where then it becomes a job? It doesn't become a career. It doesn't become an experience. And we're working, as you know, very hard on making sure we we create that experience for people where it's not just about getting the work product out, it's having the experience and being supported through the, you know, as we call the arc of their career here at Foley and making sure there's a support for them uh, going through their different phases of their career. And stewardship, I mean, that's one of the foundations of, you know, one of our core values and one of the foundations of our core value. I think my predecessor did an amazing job and he really ingrained the word stewardship into our organization. And his goal was to leave the, um, the firm better than we found it. And Jay Rothman, who's my predecessor, he has done an amazing job and, and kudos go to him because he, he accomplished that goal. He, he is leaving Foley in a much better place than when he found it. And we all build on each other, right? It's not to say that you know his predecessors didn't do that also. Every, every person has to do that. And my challenge is to do the same thing, is to leave the firm, entering into my role with the firm being in a great spot. But my, my challenge is to, you know, through my tenure, to leave the firm in a better place than I inherited it from Jay. And, um, and that's what we are always focused on. It's, it's about, about the firm. It's about the future. And it's about leaving the firm in a better place than when you, when you stepped into your role. Which really is a challenge when you we say it like that, because Foley isn't a great spot right now. <laughs> so it's a little, it may be a little bit daunting of a challenge, but I know as Director of Diversity and Inclusion, I am somewhat obsessed with Foley's you know firm value of stewardship, because I think that means diversity and inclusion. I think that means people. I think that means not just in a short-term sense, extracting as much value as you can from our organization for your personal gains, but truly you know to help Foley grow and be better in years to come. Um, another thing you said that I do want to touch on, and that I'm to transition to my next question, which is I really do think culture is a competitive advantage that Foley has. And I think it has been hard as we've navigated the last couple of years in the pandemic, because when people aren't around each other, you can lose that cultural vibe and that support. And that's certainly you know, a challenge that we are navigating as a firm. But ultimately, I do think culture is a competitive advantage we have and an amazing part of Foley. But a huge part of that that I want to tease out a bit is that I really do think people can bring their full selves to work here. That's also become a bit of a buzzword. But truly, I think this podcast shows because we've heard people talk about their families, the bands they're in, the hobbies they have. People don't make any secret that they also lead lives outside of Foley. And I know for you, you've mentioned your son, but I understand you also have a daughter. And I would love if you could talk just a little bit, I mean, just about, about your family so people get a even fuller sense of who you are and maybe even some of the challenges of navigating, you know, being a partner at a law firm, you know, CEO at a law firm um, and also family. But I would be remiss to not highlight that as well, because I do think that's such an important aspect of the firm as people are able to lead lives outside of Foley as well. I think that's the work-life balance is important for anybody, right? It's, it's healthy, you know, you need to have that. And thank you for uh, for raising that. So I have um, uh, my, my son is uh, 19 years old. He's a freshman at University of Michigan. And I have a uh, five-year-old daughter who will be six this summer, and she's a kindergartner. So I have kids on, on both aspects of, uh, of the scale. And um, it's awesome. I love both of them. And it's it's great to have kids on both, both sides of the spectrum. You know, my son's off kind of doing his thing now at college and that, having that uh, cuddly daughter at, at home that, that wants to spend time with her dad and, and uh, is is awesome too. And, and my wife is great. She's a doctor. She's a pulmonologist, but she's uh, taking some time off uh, in her career and uh, she's home with our, our daughter and my son when, you know, he's home and, uh, you know, is doing a you know, great job of, um, you know, working at home. And it's a great balance, you know, and like you said, it's you have to have that balance between your family life and your work. I mean, work is important. You spend a lot of time at, at work, but you need to take the time to be with your family. I mean, one of the things that I'm proud of is, 
you know, I, I try to make it to all my kids' sporting events. And it's, it's you know, sometimes those are at 3 o'clock, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And, you know, with one of the flexibilities we have in our job is, you know, as long as things are covered and you're responsive, you can do those things, you know. And, and, uh, and I, I made sure I did do that. And, and those are things, times in your life you just don't get back. So it's really important to focus on those and, and have that balance between your family life and your work. Thanks so much for highlighting that. And it's also really important that our leaders at Foley model that, that people don't have qualms about saying, hey, I'm leaving at three because I have to catch my, you know, my son's game, but I will be online later. It certainly makes it easier for everyone to not feel that they have to hide, <laughs> that they have other priorities in their life. And that's just something I really value about the firm. We've talked so far about what's kept you at Foley. We've talked about the culture of the firm. I'm wondering, Daljeet, if as we, you know, start to ramp down our discussion, you have some things that you're excited about in terms of your vision for the future that you wouldn't mind highlighting for us on the show? Well, you know, that's, you know, like, like we talked about, it's been a very nice progression, I, I think, from my perspective. You know, we have a new strategic plan that we're focused on. We've got four pillars to that. One is client service. Um, the other is talent, innovation, and then investments. And we're, you know, focusing in on our investments on four key sectors that we have a lot of experience in and we can bring the whole of the firm to the clients. And these are sectors that are changing rapidly and we have just, you know, an incredible breadth of experience in these areas. And that's, um, you know, healthcare life sciences, innovative technology, energy, and manufacturing. I have been intimately involved in the creation of that strategic plan with a number of our partners over the last couple of years. So this is a plan that I 110% believe in and plan to continue to, to carry out for our firm under my tenure. Talent is a big thing that I'm focused on because that, that is just over the last year or so, that has been so much more competitive. And as a professional services business, you can't run your business without the right talent and making sure that you retain that talent and encourage that talent and grow that talent. So that, that is an area that I'm going to probably put more focus on, you know, as we move forward. We're in a position of strength right now. We, we just crossed a billion dollars revenue uh, as a law firm. We're in a really good position. We're growing in, in certain areas. We've recently grown in Northern California. We've added a Salt Lake City office that, that's growing rapidly. We're, and we're following sort of the marketplace in terms of where things are going. Salt Lake City's got a great, you know, technology area that, um, that you know, practice in that area where we need to be as we follow our, our sectors and areas of growth for our firm. So just a continued focus on, on growing. You know, our, we've got a great brand. Can we always be better? Yes. And we got to focus on being better because it is a competitive marketplace. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I will say for the listeners, because you are stepping in the role of CEO, we did not spend as much time going into the ins and outs of your practice. But just so that listeners know, I've had a number of our corporate, particularly our M&A lawyers on. So I would encourage you to look back if you want to hear somebody dig into an M&A practice. But with that, Daljeet, I'd like to ask you my final substantive question, which is, What's your advice to that law student or that junior lawyer who is going to be navigating a legal career? Any just general words of wisdom for them? I guess I'll say a couple of things. And we, I think we've covered it today, right? Um, find something that you enjoy doing. Don't force yourself into something that you don't enjoy. You're going to work hard. You need to love it. You need to have passion over it and just make sure that, that, that you find something that you enjoy doing. If you love it, you'll be good at it. I have no doubt about that. The other thing is just, you know, develop relationships. One of the things you don't learn as much about in law school is business development. Business development is about developing relationships with people. It's not just walking into a room and grabbing some business, you know, uh, you have to develop relationships with people over time. So keep in touch with people, keep in touch with your law school classmates, keep in touch with people that you, you meet. I mean, this doesn't have to be forced. If you get along with somebody, you like somebody, keep in touch with them because you never know where someone's career takes them. They may find themselves at an in-house position, in a position to give you business. Your law school classmates may find themselves in those areas. It takes time to develop. Don't rush it, but just keep building on relationships and focus on collaborating with people. Like I said earlier, law schools, you learn to learn by yourself. But also shift the focus towards collaborating with people, working with people as teams, again, developing relationships with people. I think those will be really beneficial if you focus on those things. 
That is fantastic advice. And so Daljeet, with most of the guests I have, I don't say this to them because they're not a CEO and chairman of Foley, but you know we're going to have to have you back on. I would say maybe in another year or so, we have you back on. We talk about what it's been like your first year as CEO. And of course, you have an open invitation to come on the podcast whenever you would like. But with that, my final question is, if somebody has questions or comments for you, can they feel free to find you on Foley.com and send you an email? Absolutely. So you've heard that, folks. The CEO of Foley and Lardner has invited you to reach out. I feel like people don't tend to do that. I think Jay even said, feel free to pick to call me on the phone. I don't know. I don't know if anybody did that. <laughs> no, I, and I absolutely, and I really mean I'm happy to. I mean, one of the things, again, you know, you, you talked about this earlier, Alexis, is that we're, I'm going around visiting people, talking to people in offices. And one of the themes that, I, that I've, I've laid out there is I want to be accessible and I want to be available. And one of the things that I've always you know, learned is you learn from people. You know, this firm is not a top-down approach. It's a bottom-up approach. I mean, my leadership style is to hear it from people. I love to hear ideas. I love to, you know, learn things from people. And that's how we can advance, you know, as a firm is by all rowing in the same direction. And if I don't know what's going on and if I'm not hearing from people, then I'm not going to be able to do my job effectively. I love hearing from people and I'm always available and I'm always accessible. Even if I'm out at a basketball game, you know, I have my phone with me. But thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show, Dalji. It's been a great conversation. Uh, Great, Alexis. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.